Good morning. How's everyone? Good. We're awake and alive and ready, aren't we? Yes, praise God. My name's Eric. If you haven't met me, I'd love to get to know you. Uh, as well as online, we'd love to get to know you and glad you're here. Uh, if you're in person, we'd love to give you a gift out in the courtyard at the welcomes area. Uh, get your information, get to know you. Or if you're online, you can snap the QR code, fill out some information. We can help connect you to our church. We'd love to do that. Um, also, just want to kind of uh, update you, mark your calendar, save the date. January 2nd, uh, we'll be moving our service times to 8.30 and 10 o'clock. So it'll be a worship service at 8.30. And then at 10 o'clock, we'll have worship service plus connection classes, children's ministry, youth ministry. Uh, that way, hopefully, we'll provide even more opportunities for families and people to come. If you haven't noticed, look around. There's a lot of new faces. Do you see this? Yes. And we have lots of new things going on. We're adding a cafe, remodeling the kitchen, and just working really hard to, to meet the needs and love the people and uh, create a place where you can come and hang out and go deep in your faith and be here with your family. And so we just ask for your patience as maybe things are harder to get to or, you know, construction can be a little crazy or off or the power magically goes out. I don't know. I'm just warning you that, that we're in the process of doing that as a church, and we're excited, so make sure you mark your calendar uh, January 2nd. That's good. Okay, here we go. So we're in Romans chapter 12. We're picking it up in verses 1 and 2, or sorry, from 1 and 2 last week, and uh, my heart would really be, you know, Romans 12, I think, gets preached in isolation a lot because um, it's a really good topical text about worship or about love or about unity or about serving, and, and it's really not meant to be an isolated text. And when you think of kind of just what's going on in our, in our world right now, uh, and it's easy to be paralyzed as a Christian. You're like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to say. Um, you become fearful of saying anything because things seem so volatile and uh, just charged. And so what this text is going to help us do is just kind of reorient and say, no matter what is going on, there's two things you absolutely always have to do. One is worship God, and two is serve and love people. And the way this builds, it's going to be so cool before we get in, just a reminder, you know, chapter 8 kind of sets up this framework of these are the rights and privileges you have as a Christian, right? You've been adopted, you've been given God's spirit, uh, you can never be away from his love, he works all things for good, and then chapter 9 builds in that he has a plan, he's working it, he's the potter, you're the clay, then it kind of climaxes in 11, and it's like, look, he doesn't need your help, he doesn't need your counsel, he's completely in charge, then 12 comes in, now worship him. He's amazing, he's given us mercy, worship him, and then out of that worship's going to boom, come three, now we're to serve each other. And now we're to help each other. So that's the way it sets itself up. So you're like, wow, this is God's design for us. He's got a plan. He's working it out. He's got it under control. We just need to worship him, and we need to be a living sacrifice and be used at his disposal. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll unfold that through our text. Let's go. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for loving us, and we thank you for just the ability to gather. What a, what a cool thing that is. And I just pray that you would teach us, that you would uh, take our hearts and unite them together, or as Colossians says, you would knit them together in love, uh, that we'd have a love for you that flows into our love of one another. Uh, we pray for your words to speak and not mine. 
Uh, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at three aspects of being a child of God this week. So uh, three aspects of humility, uh, the individual aspect, and the community aspect. So it starts off really quick here. It's really encouraging. Verse 3, for by grace given to me, I say every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. That's encouraging, right? To think. But to think this with sober judgment. So this, this is really important, I think. And again, you have to look at our framework. If we're not understanding God's in control and we're to worship him, um, then we won't get the people part right. Meaning if we don't get us and God right, we won't get us and people right. Uh, for this very reason, when we think that we've been performing or we've been doing a good job and God owes us, and we shouldn't have to lose our job, or we shouldn't have to go through a health crisis, or we shouldn't have to pay more money, we shouldn't have to have our children act this way, or our spouse act this way. And it's like, I'm doing my part, God, why aren't you doing yours? When that creeps into our thinking, we bring God down, and we bring us up, and if we kind of get the mentality that God should work for us, it's only inevitable that we think people should work for us as well. Isn't that a fair assumption? Right? If the creator of the universe exists for my good pleasure, then it's very easy to say, well, people exist for that as well. So then what that creates is, I, I am here for you um, only if it benefits me. That's kind of a lot to think of yourself, isn't it? Okay? So when you look at this, you have to think of how does Paul just even initiate this first verse in, in verse 3. He says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone. So Paul starts off with this idea that it is even by the grace of God that I get to speak these words to you. And so I think oftentimes we go, okay, I'm saved by grace. It's a gift, yeah. God showed me mercy. I, I get to be with him. I get to go to heaven. I'm not going to hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about now? What's God doing for me now? And, and I would just ask the same question. And here's a question for us to ponder right now is how is God showing you grace currently? I mean, think about it. Think, how is God showing you grace currently? Because if your answer is that he's not, you've missed the gospel completely, haven't we? Okay? And we're missing what God's doing. And if we're missing what God's doing and, and we don't see any elements of grace in our current life, there's not going to be any response to worship. There's no response to worship. There's no gratefulness. How are we going to love people? Because we think God's doing a bad job. Why would we love his children when we think this is you know, the minimum, right? God's giving me the minimum. So just think through some things. How many relationships do you have that maybe you wouldn't have without God's grace? How many times have you been forgiven a day? That's all of us, right? Multiple times? Just me? Okay. So as a guy who sins a lot and gets forgiven a lot, God's grace is very evident. Ask my wife, okay? It's there. God's grace is there over and over and over again. Why is that important? Because if you don't see God's grace in your life, you're going to think more highly of yourself than you ought. I mean, just even, I know this is going to be a little charged for some of you, but hopefully you get over it. You look at, we, I know some of you think America like is this terrible, terrible place. And I get it. There's freedoms being shrinked and it's hard. But can we at least acknowledge how hard was it for you to get here this morning? Right? Praise God for that, isn't it? Other than the fog, it was pretty easy for me, right? Like we get to come and sing 
and worship and open God's word. And some of us are huggers and some of us are high fivers and some of us are for a distance, and, right? Wherever your comfort zone's at, we didn't have to sneak underground. You didn't have to lie. We didn't have to worry about getting captured. You just had to worry about hitting a parked car with the fog, like, right? Like, that's God's grace, isn't it? That, that's a reason to celebrate. That's an evident. Like, these are just simple things. The relationships you do have, you have some, right? And they're meaningful. I mean, God's grace has to be evident. How many times has God answered a prayer? How many times have, has God known better than you? And you thought for sure you knew better than him? And so th that's why my point one is humility. There has to be a humility in being a child of God. And the humility starts with God is bigger than me, right? Romans 11, God doesn't need my help. He doesn't need my counsel. He needs to be worshiped. He's perfect. And I really work for him. That's 12, 1 and 2, right? I'm a living sacrifice. God, whatever you want. And this is hard. This is why the text tells us in, in verse 3, but think with a sober judgment. Our mind gets polluted or drunk or we become inebriated in the mind that, that somehow God owes us through our performance or somehow God owes us through um, our accolades or the work we've done. And, and we get that kind of from ourselves, but we also get that from our society. You deserve anything and everything you want because you are the center of the universe. This is why kids fall apart when they don't get a trophy, right? It's like you were 0 16. Yes, but I participated. It's like, but you didn't do anything. Yes, but I am me and I deserve a trophy, right? Like some of your trophy parents, I understand, but you know what I mean, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like there's this, this entitled, I deserve it because I am me. And it's like, no, 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 you deserve nothing. He's the potter, you're the clay. You're breathing. Worship. All right? And if you, if you lose that sight, it becomes very easy to look at other people and say, you know what, I do deserve more. Because what we do is we kind of create this value system in our society, and we have like our super Christians and our kind of Christians, and then we have like our subpar Christians, and then our like worldly Christians, you know, the ones who are like getting in the back door of heaven, which there's not, right? And they just want to shack in heaven. You know, the really fancy ones will go to the really super spiritual people. We do this, don't we? Right? And so then there's this value system on who's better than who and who's not. And, and it works itself out like with athletes. They get all the attention, but like, what about the trainer? You know, look at even, you know, stay-at-home moms. How much value do they get? Some of you are like, oh, shoot. But I mean, just think about it really quick. When you, when you think uh, of a stay-at-home mom, how much work do they do? You know how much you'd have to pay them in salary to be on call 24 hours a day? Right, like overtime, double time, hazard pay, sick pay, right? Like, you've been to a restaurant lately? You know how expensive a meal is? Like, we're talking more money than most of us have. So, so what am I getting at? Because later on, he's going to say, look, for the measure that God has assigned, and verse 4, for one body have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So he's saying, look, we're all going to have different functions, and we're all equal, so what's the problem? we put more value on certain functions than other functions. My point is on, on the stay-at-home mom that we're the ones that say, well, you stay at home, you don't bring in a paycheck. God doesn't say that, does he? You don't see that in Proverbs 31. 
He's like, look, she's not really that important, but I'm going to give you all these amazing things she does and call her awesome, but she's not as important as the guy who works. See, we're the ones who create this system and create value, and then we chase value and say, if I was more like them, then I'd be important. If I was more like them, then I'd be important. The way Paul's structuring this is like, if you get worship right, you won't need to use people as commodities to feel better about yourself. You'll realize you have everything you need in Jesus. He will fill those holes, and then you can serve these people. But we get caught up too much in trying to climb the value ladder, trying to get people to like us. And if these people like us, then we can hang out with these people. And then if we get invited here, then we really, really, really matter. And then we get mad at God when people have different functions than we do. Well, they're really smart. I wish I was like that. They're really rich. I wish I was like that. They were born into a good family. I wish I was like that. They have a different function than me. Therefore, they have a higher value than me. You know what the problem with that is? You're saying God's a lousy father. He's a bad potter. You're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. You're like, wait, but that's someone being really down on themselves. Yeah, because you're saying, you know what? God got everyone else right except me. Because if I was taller, faster, smarter, more artistic, born into a better family, then I'd have more family. I'd have more value. But God messed up with me, just me. Got everyone else right. That's kind of thinking more highly of yourself than you should, isn't it? You're the exception to God's creation that he made all things good except you, except me. You see, it's God assigns, in verse three, right, different values, or he assigns the gifts, and that we all have different functions. So here's a good thing to remember, equal in value, different in function. Different in function, equal in value. All different functions. And it takes humility to say, my function is no greater than anyone else's function. God is the one who has assigned this task to me, and that just means that's my gift and I use it. I mean, here's the truth. If I was on the greeting team, I would get fired, okay? I'm not good at it. You'd be like, that guy looks angry, mad, confused. Why is he here? I don't know if I'm going back to that church, right? It's not my gift. I'm just not good at it. My face is stuck like this. It just is, right? When I was the high school pastor, I volunteered in the parking lot team. They fired me. Not even 10 minutes in, because I was sitting there and I was trying to analyze the cars, which way they're going and going here, and cars are almost running into each other, so they grab my walkie, grab my vest, like, get out of here, right? I'm just not good at it, and some people are like, well, I'm not good at teaching. That's okay. You don't need to be, right? Like, we all have a different role to play. It only becomes a problem when we say that role is the most important, and that role, that person is more important. We take a corporate mindset, you know, where the CEO makes a ton of money and the janitor makes a little bit of money. And it's like, well, yeah, his value is greater. But when we talk about value of life, is one more valuable than the other? It's not a trick question. No. Okay, so we can't read that into our text with these gifts and say, that person's more important. I mean, think about this from God's perspective. You really think God's looking down on his creation and he's like, if you were a little bit taller, I'd love you. If you would have been smarter, you would have been more important. He's the potter, right? So he created you with that, right? You guys following the logic? It'd be really backwards for him to be angry at you for the way he created you. 
and then get mad at you that you can't be more valuable because he didn't give you the proper things you needed to be valuable. Like height, smarts, artistic, power, where you grew up. You see, th- th- these, are, these are things we've polluted it with. And this is why it's so important. We have a sober understanding that if you've been adopted, this is Romans 8, you've been adopted into the family of God. You're a child of God, period. You're not a more adopted or less adopted, partially adopted, kind of adopted, super adoptive. You're adopted, period. You're a child of God. And once we start to understand we all play a role and that we're going to have people that, you know, disagree with us and have different gifting than us, but nothing makes us smarter or better than the other Christian. We're all submitting to Jesus, meaning he's the only one who knows everything. It makes the rest of these verses make sense. Here's just, before I move on to my next point, my, I guess my, my biggest concern is that I see the world trying to tear apart Christians, right? And so imagine like this is the body and you have the world attacking on one end. If you read The Art of War, he says the best way to attack somebody is that you attack from both sides. And so if the Christians start attacking the Christians and the world attack the Christians, we'll just get eaten alive. Do we see that? Okay. And so what we have to do is die to this mentality that I'm better than you because I have a vaccine or I don't have a vaccine or I'm a Republican or a Democrat or I wear masks, I homeschool, I don't homeschool, I live in America, I don't like America, I like our governor, I don't like our governor. You get where I'm going? Those die, right? We all have a part to play and we need each other in things that are bigger than all of that. And that is the glory of God and the good of the Christian to be like Christ, and if we, we don't have that humility, that we might differ on some secondary things, that, that goes away. Right now, how can I help you be more like Jesus? How can I give God glory in what I'm doing? Because we have a bigger mission to accomplish, the glory of God, the mission of the gospel going out, and we need to work together to do that. And if we're too busy thinking we're better than each other, thinking more highly of each other, because we watch certain news channels and better research journals, and, and you know, we talk to cooler, more fancier degreed people, we're never gonna serve each other for the glory of God and the good of each other. You see that? That takes an incredible amount of humility and to not think more highly than we ought and say, okay, what's the goal? It's to be a child of God, okay? So that is our humility. Now, there's the child of God as the individual, okay? So this is, Paul's going to take this this kind of uh, two ideas that seem like they don't work together, but they do, because he's going to say you are an individual in verse 5, right? You are a member of Christ individually members, but he's also going to say that you're one body. So the most important part is to remember you are an individual who is individually responsible. And, And again, this gets back to if we don't understand how we have sinned against God and how God has given us mercy and how we're breathing in his grace, what we, what we tend to do is have performance-based relationships. So we sit in a church and they're like, I come to church and it serves me and I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me and I'll love you and you love me and the church isn't doing anything nice for me so I'm not gonna do anything nice for it and I'll come back maybe when the people have changed. Is that how Christ treated us? No, absolutely not. Was Christ a conditional lover? Absolutely not. This is why it starts with how has God treated us 
unconditionally love us. Now we serve individually out of that love. Why does this matter? Because we never have permission to not be like Jesus. We never have permission to not be like Christ. We are individually responsible. You can't, you have to look at the individual first and then the whole. And I think what we do is we look at the body and then let that inform the individual. So if the body's loving, then we'll be loving. It's like, no, it's the other way around. You, the individual, need to be loving regardless of the body. Regardless of the body, you're saved by Christ. He's your potter. You're his clay. You're to be his living sacrifice, Romans 1 and 2. See, Paul's working this out methodically. It's absolutely beautiful to go from 11 into 12. And you see him just setting it up. Quit staring at the other. Look at yourself. Do what God has called you to do. He has shown you mercy. You know better. There's no excuse. And you got to think this isn't a Jew-Gentile audience, right? You need to do your part. This is why you cannot do church outside of a group of people, the gathering of the body. We can't do church from your porch, from your couch, from your cabin, right? Like, I'm sorry. Why? Because how do you serve one another? How do you display these gifts? How, how, how do you help each other out in these ways? Because yes, you are an individual, but like a pinky, right? It's an individual part. If it gets cut off, it dies, doesn't it? Is that a trick question, right? Does it live outside being connected to blood flow and cells? And t- does it? No, it has to be connected. And, and this is, God said, look, my children gather into a body, and that body is directed by the head, which is Jesus. And then he'll press on to say, I've individually gifted these children to function as a whole body. And each gift is necessary, and it's to be available at God's disposal. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And the gifts, they need to work in a way that builds up the church. If it doesn't build up the church, it's not a gift. A lot of times we do things in the name of Jesus that really make us look great, benefit no one, and Jesus' name gets left out. Right? So you look at Ephesians 4.12, you equip the saints to do the work right, for the building up of the church. So gift needs to build up. So he's building his, his argument here in 5. Though we are many, we're one and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, so we know that God assigns the gift. We saw that in three. So understand, whatever gift we've been given, God has assigned it. And when we put more value on other gifts, that's our doing, not God's. Okay, so walk through this list with me. And let's see, it says, how does God individually create people to help grow the church and give the glory of God. The first one he says is prophecy, okay? Now this isn't a trick question, so just answer it plainly. What does a prophet do? Speaks the words of God, is that true? Is that what we see in the Old Testament? What does Moses do as a prophet? God says this, Moses says it to Pharaoh. God speaks to, prophet speaks, right? He speaks the word of God. Where do we see the Word of God? Our Bible, right? Okay, so to 
speak the word of God would be to just speak the word of God because God has spoken in his word. Now, I want you to think about this. In our Old and New Testament, was the Bible fully written? No, it wasn't. So God would speak. So they're writing down as they're speaking, it's becoming scripture. It's becoming canonized is a, a good word for it. So we have our Bible fully put together. And so now when we speak the word of God, you can see that's being prophetic. You're speaking the words of God. Okay. Now why does this become problematic and why am I being so narrow in my definition? Because if you're saying I have the gift of prophecy, you're saying I speak the very words of God. That's a pretty big deal, don't we think? Absolutely. And what does God's word say about people who tell the word of God falsely? Let's look. Deuteronomy 18.20. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. A prophet can't lie. And I want you just to think through some of this stuff with me. So Because these are extremely manipulative things that go on in Christianity. So I'm going to try to bring some, some, some sensible, practical, theolo theological thinking. Okay? So let's look through these lists in verses 6, 7, and 8. So service, do you see it? Teaching, right? Exhorting or encouraging. Generosity, leading, mercy. Do you see all of those? Okay. Do you ever forget how to show mercy? Like, have you ever seen me forget how to teach? If you have, don't say, right? Like, thank you, right? Forget how to be generous, like, does the gift sometimes not work? Like, my mercy gift's not working right now. Teaching gift's just not there. Okay, it's kind of the same thing with prophecy. You can't be right prophetically sometimes. We making sense here? It's not something you turn on and turn off. And, and so what am I saying? I'm saying when someone says they're speaking the words of God, that they have a prophetic gift, that always has to be right. Right? That's how you know it's from God. So am I saying... God doesn't speak today? No. What I would offer is this. There, there are times, I'll tell you, when something will come into my mind or in my heart and it'll be strange and it'll be about another person. They're like, man, I think they're going through a hard time or I think this is going on. So rather than saying, hey, I have a word from the Lord, what I will try to do is say, hey, you were on my mind, not sure if I'm crazy or if God put it there, right? Leave the opportunity that maybe I had some indigestion or I'm feeling weird, or I'm hungry, and I got some weird emotional thing going on, and maybe I'm just crazy. Or God's, you know, reaching out, I love you, praying for you, you know, here's this, or here's that. And more often than not, they're like, thank you for doing that. And, and it really was God leading me to do that. But to just claim God, and act like I have no ability to maybe make that wrong, doesn't it seem more wise just to say, hey, I think this is what God is doing? So then if it doesn't happen, it doesn't make God look like a liar, right? Because that's what's to lose is that God somehow gets lost in this. Well, you said God was going to give me this. You said God was doing this. Oh, yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, I was watching too many sci-fi movies. Sorry. We don't want to do that to people, do we? Okay? And this isn't in our text, but it's the same principle. It's like healing. I don't understand this partial healing gift. It's like, Sometimes they have the ability to heal and other times they don't. Like, do you ever see Jesus or the apostles say, come back on Wednesday, I'll try again? 
You know, Thursday's my back healing day. Come on Friday, that's my arm healing day. You know, I wasn't, didn't pray enough today. Come back, I'll heal you another day. What do we see in the New Testament? That the shadow of Peter or Paul or Christ is walking, they touch him, they're healed, right? They always have the gift and it always works. Is this true? Okay, I'm not making this stuff up. And so for someone to, to say they have the gift of healing, it can't be a partial of the time. It happens all the time. So what happens is, what happens when someone doesn't get healed? Where does the blame go? Does it go on the healer or the person? Almost always on the person. Oh, you didn't pray enough. You didn't believe enough. You weren't good enough. And then they victimize the person. So they keep trying and trying and trying and God doesn't heal. So then they grow weary and apathetic and think they're just hopeless. When the reality is sometimes God says no, doesn't he? Does Jesus heal everyone in the parables? Does everyone in the gospels? No. It says that there are many people and he'd go on to the next place. Not everyone doesn't happen. And what if we have 50 people praying for someone with cancer, all 50 of us healers? Why can't we just say, God did a miracle? Isn't that fair? God did a work, amen. God heals, right? See, we're the ones that create these weird things because it's about power. I have a word from the Lord. I have the ability to heal, and something is wrong with you. That's not what a gift is for. A gift is to build up the body, and it's very uplifting when you look at prophetic here, it would be, hey, this is what God's word says about that. Here's what God's word says about marriage. This is what God's word says about, you know, uh, being faithful. It's what God's word says about prayer. You're speaking God's word into their life. That's being prophetic. We can all do that, can't we? Use God's word to help each other and encourage each other. That seems like a gift that could be very helpful to another Christian, doesn't it? Okay, good. Serving. This is something we all do, but if you notice, there are some people who are better at it, like just powerhouses. Like my wife, she gets stuff done. Usually 14 things before I get one. Makes me mad. I don't know how. Like I blink and she's got eight things done. You know people like that? Just me? Okay, so I know one. Some of you have that gift. You just get things done. You know, you serve and it's very easy for you and it's helpful to other people because some people like me are still trying to think about it while you're getting it all done, right? It's very helpful and it works together. Uh, next one in here, one who teaches. Look, they're like I'm a teacher and to be a pastor, elder, yeah, you gotta have a First Timothy, uh, Titus requirement to teach and that's helpful. But on some level, we all teach, don't we? You have kids, you have coworkers, you have friends who are baby Christians, non-Christians. You have to teach them about God's word. Teach them about who God is. Teach them about Christ. Sunday school teachers, right? Everyone at some point is going to have a teaching element. And we're to use that to build up the church to the glory of God and the good of each other, right? Exhorting. This is, you know, one that gets left out a lot. That I actually like is it's a strong encouragement. Like, why is it wrong to be like, hey, I'm so glad you're at church. You should come more often. Why is that such a mean thing to say? Doesn't it, wouldn't we agree that I'd probably be like, oh, that's such a jerk. But it's like a strong encouragement, right? It's like, I'm happy you're here. I'd be happy if you were here more, right? Like, it's been good you're reading your Bible. You should read your Bible even more. 
It's good when we obey God. It's good when we obey God consistently. It's an exhort, right? It's like, it's like an encouragement with like a, and keep going, right? Okay? And if we understand we're saved by grace, we're not perfect, there's no super Christian, there's just children, we should all expect at some time to get a little pat on the back with a little kick, right? Come on, because we need that. This is what he's saying. He's like, look, be a living sacrifice, willing to help everyone. That's verses one and two. You got to exhort. Paul's very much like, hey, I'm your spiritual father and I love you, but knock it off. Right? And that's a loving thing to do. You don't just let your children beat each other senselessly, right? At some point, you pull them apart. You say, you do it again and I'll beat you, right? Like, and that'll be even worse. And it's like, oh, but I love you. Now go play nice, right? Like, there's an element of that. But it's saying that you exhort each other, you encourage each other strongly to the good of each other, not degrading, not demeaning, but strong, right? In generosity, some people have the ability to be more generous than others, but it doesn't mean that we all don't have the ability to be generous when we look at proportionately to where you're at. And it's because of generous people that we are building things on our campus, that we have a growing church, that we're seeing the gospel go out to the nations, that we have market of hope in these things. It's generous hearts that say that this is the Lord's money and whatever, I'm a living sacrifice, right? Like all is his, not mine. Whatever helps the gospel go out, whatever helps people grow in their faith, whatever helps people love Jesus more, here you go. So one of that's through finances. One of that's through time. Some people, you get to a stage in life You just have a lot of available time. And that's a big asset because you can help people during the day who need help, whether it's going to the hospital, need to be prayed for, need groceries, you know, fill in your blank, lead a Bible study, whatever it is, you have that ability to be generous. Again, where does that come from? That God is generous with us. He's lavished mercy and grace upon us. Leadership, okay? This is a good one. Um, but this, I, I think, was once told to me by an elder, and it's important to keep this in mind. He told me, um, if I'm ever on a walk and no one's following me, I'm just a man on a walk, not a leader, right? A leader has someone following them, okay? And sometimes what I think is we think we're leading, and it's like no one's following you. You're just being a loud, obnoxious walker, right? Yeah? And when you are... Uh, leading, you lead to the glory of God, not to a political position, not to a health position, not to an economic position, right? Like your leadership gift is to lead to Christ and God's glory. Do not use that gift to get an internet following, to get a petition, to get a this, to get a this, to get this. If you're doing that, then you better be doing 10 times more on God's side. Use that leadership for his glory. Use that leadership for the church to be built up. That's one of the biggest knocks in the church that it's not organizationally structured well. Well, all my leadership gift people, come on. Right? Let's get organized, create a system, flowchart, map it out, and get God glory. That gift is there, and I think it's often abused, and we use it to go to parachurch ministries, and we use it to go to, you know, social justice and, and economic issues, and those are like, good, I get it, but like, Use it to grow people in the Lord, to disciple people. Okay? Keep working. With zeal and acts of mercy, 
This is huge, that we all have been given a gift of mercy through Christ dying and paying for our sin on the cross. Is that true? Absolutely. So this is where it becomes very vital that we individually are going to need to show mercy to other people. Why? Because people in this room are going to hurt your feelings. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to embarrass you. They're going to make you mad. I'll probably be one of them. I'm sorry in advance. Why? Because the church is full of sinners. And sinners sin and they hurt. And what's going to require the body to survive is the ability to have mercy. There's going to be someone, you're going to walk into a grocery store. It's probably going to be from our church. They're going to be yelling at a manager, right, saying very mean things. And then you're going to see them at church, and you're going to shake their hand, hug them, and say, I love you, not run away from them. They might deserve to not be talked to, right? But mercy says, no, I love you. Right? I understand you need someone to love you. You might even need an exhortation. If you don't want to go in that store and be told what to do, don't shop there. Right? Gentle exhortation from the pastor. Okay? Instead of getting mad at the people who run the stores, just don't go to the stores if they don't, you don't like what they're doing. Right? If, if they're posting online and it's this big, huge thing, okay, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person, they embarrassed me. I get it. They probably deserve wrath back. Privately message them. Privately. Hey, I don't know if that's the best use of God's gifting in your life. Right? That's a nice exhortation. Maybe post something about how God's answered a prayer request, how God's loved you, how God's shown you mercy, your favorite Bible verse. Right? Your favorite Christian movie. I don't care, right? Something God honoring. Right? Show mercy. That's the way all of this ties together is that God has shown us mercy and we have to show mercy to one another. Okay? So we individually have to take responsibilities for these gifts. God's equipped us, given it to us, and even though we have different gifts, we're equal in value, we're necessary to the body so we can build it up. So point three, we can live in community. He says, this is how it comes together. This is how you survive an economic hard time, a health hard time, you know, a government hard time, a school hard time, is that when you come here, this community is going to give God glory and love each other. That all that other stuff that you get in fights at work, at school, in, in the marketplace, all those places that you get just butt heads and you fight, that stays there and it doesn't happen here. Because we're on a mission of God's glory. And we're going to help each other out. We're going to love each other. We're going to serve each other. We're going to encourage. We're going to teach God's word. We're going to show mercy. We're going to be generous to the glory of God and the good of each other. Because here's the thing. Regardless of where you stand on things, there's going to be people losing their jobs. There's going to be people changing their lifestyles. And they're going to need an incredible amount of mercy, generosity, exhortation, and pointing back to Christ. Regardless. Is that true? And we have to be ready for that as a church that says, hey, we might differ on these things, but I love you. Christ died for you. You're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. 
Let's focus on him. Let's help you get there. And this is what you read in Acts chapter two, right? That they had all things in common, that they gathered, they broke bread, they opened God's word, and that God added to their number. And this is what Paul's getting at to them in Rome. Jew, Gentile, take your differences, push them aside. Take your past, push it aside. Serve each other. Use your gifts to help each other for the glory of God and the world will see it. They will be jealous of it and you will be able to share it with them. But when the church functions just like the world, why would the world want to come and hear about Jesus? Because it's no different than their work. It's no different than their marketplace. It's no different than the school. It's no different than their family. The church is to be uniquely different, right? Okay. And this is how it starts. And I'll just kind of unpack this before we close it up. God has set a plan and a design, right? That's Romans 11 and 9. And we are to worship him for that. And when we worship him, we see how great he is. We see how sinful we are. It creates this heart of humility. And it says, I want to I go help others see the love and greatness and goodness of God by being a living sacrifice, saying, God, send me wherever you want to do whatever you want so that people would know you and love you. And you do that through the community. That's how it builds in it. And the church is so helpful in so many ways. Just, you know, think of James 5.16, right? Confess our sin. Because we confess to Christ, he forgives us. But when you confess sin to people, now all of a sudden you have the opportunity for accountability. Or someone could say, hey, are you still looking at that? Are you doing that? Have you followed up? Have you talked to your wife? Have you, you know, apologized to that person? Or have you been reading your Bible? That's that exhortation. They're encouraging you. You're confessing. You're not alone. The church should be the one place where you never, ever, ever feel alone. Is that fair? Absolutely. It's biblical. And there's this foundation of we're ch God's children and we're equal in value. So it doesn't matter where you're at. We're here to help you. And, and this is where it gets hard in application is it does require us to be honest about our weakness. We cannot help what we do not know. Is that fair? Right? Even Paul pleads with God in his weakness, right? Second Corinthians. He pleads with God three times, please take this thorn out of my flesh. And God says no. God says no. And what does Christ say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Keeps him dependent on God. That Christ is sufficient. Sometimes we got to be willing to admit that's us. The thorn's not coming out. I need help. And one of the primary ways God answers prayers is through his children. He will bring someone to love you and to help you. No one gets to say, oh, I didn't grow up in the church. I don't have a gift. I don't have the ability to teach. That's just really selfish. It's coming up with a reason to say, I, I don't have to do anything because I can't offer anything. And it's calling God a bad creator. He gave everyone else a gift except you. That's thinking more highly of yourself than you should. You guys seeing that, right? right? So you got something to offer. You do. Whether you came from a, an addict's life or you grew up in the church, 
single mom, single dad, wherever you are, God says, be a living sacrifice. I'll use it. I'll use it in my church for my glory. Just be a living sacrifice. Be willing to be used by me in any way, shape, form, or capacity, and he will do it to build his church for his glory. But we have to be willing to say, yeah, I need help. And then God does work. He'll bring somebody to love you, encourage you, help you, walk you along. You'll be like, oh my gosh, God is so good, I didn't even know. And all of a sudden, that cross you're trying to bear by yourself just became so much lighter, right? Because they say many hands make light the work, don't they? God says that's how my church functions. Okay, conclusion. If we're consistently in a place of worship, then we'll be humble, right? That's how we're transitioning from two and three, or one and two into three through eight. If we are humble, we will not think we are too good to help others. We are willing to help others, then we're using our function and our gift as assigned by the Lord. And whether that's encouragement, teaching, serving, whatever, that's use it for his glory. And that's how God has equipped us. So, some questions to think through. Am I so consumed with my own life that I don't think about the needs of others in my church? Meaning, are we so consumed with, well, I come to church, I want this, I need this, why isn't this here? And you're missing the people around you who are maybe crying, sad, depressed, that you're so mad that this didn't happen, that didn't matter, or you, 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 that you're missing the people around you. That you're not noticing the guy who's going to dart from the back pew and try to get to his car and no one's going to talk to him. It's my prayer that one of you disrupts that dude hard. What's going on? What's your name? How are you? Love to meet you. Right? Even if you're as awkward as me, that will help that person come into the family. But if we're so consumed with ourselves, we miss the very things God has around us and available to us because we're not in a place to be living sacrifice. So am I at a place where I come and you're ready to worship and give me, say, be, use me, God, use me, whether it's to testify about you or God, I need your help. And this church is a place where God will use to help heal. I'm gonna seek that out. Just working through that. Two, how has God gifted you and how can you use that to help others? You should know you have a gift. You have a story, you have a place. And sometimes it takes a while to figure it out, but to be a living sacrifice, right? One and two, verses one and two, says, God, use me. Use me. Because I want to flow out of your love. I want to respond to your son dying on the cross. Three, where do I have weakness in my life? And how can the church be a part of helping me in that weakness? Look, I get it. We all want to say we're doing fine, 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 fine. But if everybody's fine, then why are we here? Yes? Okay, at some point, somebody's not fine, and that's okay. Okay, and just be honest about it. But you're, you're, you're cheating someone out of the right to use God's gifting in their life to bless you. You're robbing someone of being a living sacrifice. Because if you had the opportunity to help someone for God's glory, wouldn't you want to take it? But we can't use it if no one's saying, hey, this is what's going on, and not be embarrassed about it. Because again, we put these value systems, and it's like, oh, I'm the smart guy. I'm not allowed to not understand things. 
I'm the rich guy. I'm not allowed to struggle with. Right? No, 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 no. Everyone struggles. We all need Jesus. Okay? Four, why do you think some people expect the church to be perfect? So many times people are like, oh, that church was terrible. What happened? Well, someone was mean to me. Oh, so you didn't think there'd be sinners in there? You ever thought maybe you were mean to someone else? Like, everyone's going to have to show mercy at some point. Do we realize that? Okay, everyone. You have to show mercy to the pastor, probably to me the most, right? I'm sorry. Anyway, so just think through that. The church is not perfect. It's full of sinners, and it needs to be shown mercy because that's what God has shown us, right? Last question. How does my personal worship affect my ability to serve and love others? So if you find yourself... I just don't want to help. I don't, I don't want to do anything. Probably not worshiping at all. The natural outflow of this passage is God is sovereign. He's given you mercy. Worship him. Be at his disposal. If you're doing that, you're saying, whatever you want, God, whoever you want, I will love them and serve them because of who you are. Starts with worship trickles down into service. And so now we have an ability to go into a time of worship and just start our hearts off right for the week, going, that's how great he is. That's who I have. Now I want to be a living sacrifice for your glory. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Um, You are truly sovereign. You are the potter. And it's our prayer that we would worship you and love you and our response to the great worship you deserve would be, send me, here I am, a living sacrifice at your disposal for your glory. God, we love you so much and we just need help loving you more. Surrendering our pride, surrendering our hills, surrendering our secondary hills we wanna die on, that we would die to those things and be of use to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.